All right. Well, as you come back to your seat here, um, we have a very special guest with us today. As most of you know, we've been promoting today is Genesis Sunday. And we're going to hear about dads in Genesis. But I want to introduce this man, this fine young man here with me. This is Patrick Nury. Patrick is a pastor at one of our sister churches, the Expedition in Seattle. Um, And he is a creation geology expert. Um, I've been so blessed in the short term here. He's stayed at my house for the past couple of nights and had a lot of great conversation. I continue to learn more and more about this topic and about a biblical worldview. Um, But I think it's very special also, by way of introduction, since today is Father's Day, in many ways I look at Patrick as one of my spiritual fathers. I had the opportunity to be part of his church for a couple of years. And And then uh, he ran out on us. And then I ran out. Uh, it was just a blessing, that season of my life, Patrick was able to impart not only the things we're going to hear about today and uh, later this afternoon when we go on to the, the picnic and the hike, but those things of course, but also just a, a great sense of wisdom and dedication, um, long-suffering when things are not always easy. And um, So I hope today that you guys would just really enjoy this uh, enjoy this message from Patrick and, and just give him your full attention. Um, I think... God has something great to speak to us this morning through Patrick. So that being said, let me just give him a hand and we'll turn it over to him. How many of you do some kind of homeschooling in here? I mean, do any, oh boy, we've got quite a few in here, yeah. And so, uh, and how many of you are dads? Let's say, okay, quite a few dads. And uh, some of you are probably contemplating becoming dads. Some of you, I'm not so sure I want to do this. <laughs> but um, anyway, it's you. You have a you, you have a terrific job ahead of you. And so I want to talk a little bit this morning about dads in Genesis. I'm going to do some shameless promotion here, though. First, okay. So bear with me. Uh, out back here, I've written a number of books on uh, geology. I've chosen the field of geology. I know there's a lot you can do with creation and evolution type things. Uh, and I think everybody in the church pretty much thinks that the whole idea of frog to prince is kind of a stupid story anyway. But I don't think there are many people that can look at their surroundings and, and look at it and say, ah, I knew Genesis well enough to know what happened here and when it happened. And I think that that is a, uh, I would like to see that really strengthen uh, in the church across the board. Let me tell you, um, this is my personal opinion, but I think the next 10, 15 years in this country are going to be pure hell for our kids. There are paleontologists out there who are working with universities to not grant science degrees to anybody who believes in a young earth or a global flood. There's already, and Richard Dawkins has already advocated for a law in the books for parents, child abuse, if you teach this stuff. And our, parent, our kids are going to go through this. Now, I think we're doing a fairly good job. You know, years ago, I, I became a believer in 1972. 
and had the privilege of uh, working in a few cases with Henry Morris and Dwayne Gish, kind of the granddaddies of everything. And, um, uh, you know, back then, and we used to do some open air stuff on campus with Genesis and so on. Dan Gehring, how many of you know Dan Gehring? But Dan Gehring and I were roommates years ago, and we were both uh, these wackos who liked creation stuff. And so we'd go out and we'd do some things on campus and, and things like that. And we were just kind of considered to be these, these gnats, you know, leave them alone, they'll go away eventually. But that is not the case today, and they are, uh, the other side, the secularists are becoming increasingly militant uh, about uh, instilling the right faith into your kids and, and our kids. And the right faith, of course, to them is a way different view of earth and earth history than we have. And this is important, so whether you're a dad currently at work at being a dad, if you've, if you've been a dad and your kids are growing up like mine, uh, and uh, now you're one of the, you're one of the patriarchs, that, this just kind of dawned on me here in the last few years. I, I'm one of the patriarchs. You know, a few years ago, I, I was just a dad. But boy, now, oh, I've cried, kind of crossed over into another, another area. And then a lot of you are contemplating becoming dads. So I think this message, whether you're a dad or not, just I think this message will be appropriate for you. Um, so uh, the shameless plug, but I was going to get to that. I do have a number of books I've written here, uh, uh, and uh, they're on the table in the back. There's also a life-size cast of an Allosaurus foot out back there. And the Allosaurus was one of the first theropod dinosaurs, beast foot dinosaurs, that was discovered at Dinosaur Ridge out here. And uh, we're going to take a little bit of a look at that after everything is all over. But you're also very famous here, not just because of the, the Rockies, uh, I meant I the baseball team here, but, uh, and, uh, and you stole Manning from us and uh, from Indiana and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you're also very famous for being the start of the Bone Wars in 1877. So uh, we're going to talk a, a lot about that too. That is like the Keystone Cops of paleontology. I mean, it is a, if it wasn't so sad, it would make a very comical story and we'll get into that too but that's the tie-in here with the with the dinosaur ridge uh and so with that um uh, it, those books by the way are for sale out there and we do have a yellowstone trip every year ask about it our website uh ask vicky back there for our website you can get on see what we're doing i have an excellent idea dads for this gift card from lowe's it's not to replace the hammer your kids left out in the rain last week but you can get a, uh, a hammer that is, will break rocks. And I bet your kids would love to get out and break a few rocks and see what's in them. So there's just one suggestion. Use the card, go to Lowe's, get, and, and I call it a crack hammer. It actually looks like a little small sledgehammer. But you can have some fun with the rocks around Colorado here. And your kids will love it, and you'll end up... Uh, learning a lot of things. One last thing I have developed, <clears throat> I've done a lot of speaking at various conferences and so on, 
And, uh, and one thing we just found out, and this has been going on, but I have not noticed it before. We were at a, a homeschool convention here a couple of weeks ago, and I had two moms at separate occasions. And, and normally when I speak, I'm really trying to address the moms because the moms are bearing the burden uh, of when they school these kids at home. I mean, it is exhausting. And so that's who I've got in mind. But a couple of moms came up and she said, you know, I've noticed something about all your seminars. They're filled with men. You have men in your seminars. And I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. I wonder why that is. And my wife reminded me that that's because there's no crying in geology. Yeah, no tears, no tears. Don't stop crying in geology. So I think that dads love my seminars because of that. But anyway, I have developed a kit, a speaker kit, because I've been through the gamut here. People love you, they hate you, they walk out on you, whatever it is. So I have this little kit here uh, for those of you who are really conscientious and want to stay awake through this whole thing today and you're trying, you're repenting, God give me the grace to stay awake. I have some no-dos for you in this kit. Uh, also, too, for those of you who are really bothered by what I have to say today, I have a little bottle of aspirin in the kit. Uh, for, for the rebellious, I've got some earplugs. And for the super rebellious, you can, I've got a cane. I have a, a, a cane that you can use. And uh, then for those of you who decide you want to just weep and cry and gnash your teeth, I have little packages of Kleenex in my kit here. So this kit is available, 1995. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. <laughs> okay, dads and Genesis. Now... <clears throat> We've heard about, um, you know, dads in baseball, uh, dads in camping, uh, dads and football, dads and fishing, but dads in Genesis? Wait, what? <laughs> I coached Little League Baseball for 15 years, and that was my one contact I had with my son. And none of my kids were, followed suit in, in geology or rocks, or they were all artists and musicians, and, uh, but my son loved baseball, so that's where I got my, my connection with him. But, uh, you know, many people think that what dads do, you see, dad's purpose is to create the babies, and uh, that's kind of their, their job, and they bring home the bacon, the paycheck, whatever. But I'll tell you what, dads are, and especially over these next several years, are, your job is going to be I mean, it's going to be very, very tough. And hopefully I can give you some helps today. I'm writing a lot of literature. Uh, I've got 10 more on line here I'm trying to get out uh, as soon as I can. And uh, that are designed to just help you parents equip your kids. You know, we approach earth science. We approach it as an academic subject. We approach it like math or reading. You teach it in fourth grade, you teach it in, in eighth grade, and then you're done with it. You know, check that off the list and go on to you know, math two or whatever it is. But earth science is one of those subjects, it's not academic. It is a mistake to think of earth science as an academic subject. Earth science is an equipping subject. It is, it is a, it's a training subject, and it's going to take you all 12 years to get it done. 
with your kids approaching time when they're going to be leaving home, they have to be able to inside resolve questions of their own as they're confronted with different challenges and things. And uh, I went through this back in 1972. Uh, I was bouncing back and forth between geology and music. Those were my two loves. And um, math scared the pants off me, so I went with music, you know. But anyway, uh, I went to college with this idea that the Bible's just a bunch of myths and, and stories. I mean, there are, some of them are good stories. Uh, the story of Jesus, you know, everybody celebrates Easter and Christmas. It's just a story, though. It had no real connection to my life or anything else. And along about my junior year in college, my life fell apart. And nothing that I had embraced in evolution or in uh, geology or anything like that would solve the problem. The only thing that solved the problem and gave me peace was turning to Christ and having forgiveness and realizing, well, God created me and that is the long and the short of it. And uh, so I became a believer and then I went through a real crisis in my life. And that was, boy, all this stuff I have learned about the age of the earth and how things formed. I can't put this together, but I can't live a schizophrenic life. I can't live one foot in uh, an evolutionary, uh, an old earth type of view in the Bible and one foot in the resurrection of Christ. Those two just do not go together. And so I had to resolve that. And it took me a while to do it. And, and, and finally it did it. It finally came together for me. But I have seen that it's just kind of a microcosm of what you men, all of you men, whether you're dads, grandpas, whatever, you guys have got to set some legacies. And it's not just all about rocks. I mean, some people, they say, well, you know, this is just one of these extracurricular subjects. Get it out of the way and, and go on to bigger and better things. But we're talking about we're talking about a view, a complete view of who we are, where we came from, and who's up there watching over us, and what's going to happen in the end. And this, uh, let me tell you, it is a mammoth task, and I don't envy any of you here doing that. I mean, I'm trying to write these books, and it's a, it's a huge project to put down on paper what you feel, what you think, and what the scriptures say and how to get it across. There's a passage that's had a lot of influence in my life. It's from Malachi. It says, remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and the ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He'll restore the hearts of the fathers to children and hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Now I know we've used that a lot on Father's Day and we've we've talked a lot about this passage as it relates to how fathers need to turn to their kids to their kids and get involved and kids obey their parents and so on. It, it is now this is just my opinion. I don't think it's talking about that. I really think it's talking about a historical shift that will take place in the end times. Right now, if you've ever been to Israel, you'll know that they have all the trappings of the, the, the history of God. It's right there. It's all right there. But none of it is real. 
And I, I think what he's talking about here is turning our hearts back to what God has spoken. That's the whole thing. God spoke. Israel's history rejected it. And now our culture is rejecting it. All of us, and especially some of us who've lived a little longer, we, we have seen these changes going on in our culture. Some of you, as, as younger, you're looking and saying, what's the big deal here? You know, life is life. And, but some of us who have seen these changes going on, actually now have seen these changes going on in our culture. And it's like this mass apostasy away from what God has spoken and substituting other things for it. And life is getting crazy out there. We're in Seattle, I know we're, we're, we're totally redoing and rethinking the way we do church because the church is going to be a target here. And I think we're going to go through some, it, I don't think it's, you know, the, I don't think it's going to be persecution or be nailed to the cross, you know, this kind of thing. I don't know, maybe, I, I don't know. But there is such an intellectual and academic persecution of anybody who embraces any kind of vibrant faith that's going on in our country. And it is, it's coming on fast. And we're just having to think through a whole thing. It's one of the reasons why I'm just writing like fury. Because it's one of my legacies I want to leave behind. Is what? I, I want my kids to have this stuff. This is the stuff they can cling on to here. But this, I think this passage talks about turning hearts Back to what God has spoken. That's the shift that needs to take place in Israel. I think that's what Elijah will do in the last days. And you'll have a vibrant Israel in the last days. Belief in God. Belief in the true God. And uh, now, I mean, the church is wandering. Our society is wandering. And, and, and church really is all about me and what you can do for me and things like this. Boy, where's the, where is the, 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 the passion... To turn back and believe what God has spoken and embrace it and teach it and and still it and discipling. And I think this is where we have an opportunity, especially those of us who are who are, are schooling at home in some way. Um, I taught, I did teach in Christian high school for a while and... Um, uh, it, it, a lot of it just kind of seems to follow the same general trend. But I'll tell you, you in the home have this opportunity to start building this kind of an attitude in your kids. Turning your heart. Well, God said it. We believe it. That settles it. And now we're going to really put it into practice. I think we're doing a great job uh, as the church in teaching what I call the, the catechism of Genesis catechism is kind of what it, what it says. You've got, you've got the books. When I became a believer, I, I knew of six books. That was it on a whole creation topic. Just six. I'm sure there were more, but these, I mean, I had to really dig around for these. Today, there are hundreds of books out there, but are we any more equipped to take the truth of Genesis and apply it to what we see around us? I don't think so. And I'm seeing this more and more. And it's, it's, to me, I mean, it is really grabbing my attention because this is where it's going to connect. Vicki and I were on our way to a, a, a convention one time. We were driving behind this Volvo. You, and the guy in the car, you know, reminded me, okay, 
he had all these bumper stickers in the back of his car. And okay, first of all, the guy's a Darwinian, the guy is down the list. But there was this one bumper sticker that caught my attention. And it said, we have all the fossils, we win. And I thought, that's the missing ingredient. Homeschool, Christian schools, Christians, they study the pictures. They don't get out and study the actual stuff. Besides, the guy's a liar. I got more rocks than the average doctoral candidate does. Oh, speaking of rocks, by the way, we have lost our lead. How many of you were on the team that came to Seattle and helped us move? There's a few of you back. And you're still alive. Hottest summer on record, 110 degrees. And one of their mission trips was to help me move my rocks. I had to move them out of one place and into another. And... Um, well, we've lost our lease on our building, and uh, so now, in addition, we have to have another mission trip, I think, because I've got three times the rocks and the fossil, and plus, now I've got a museum up there, and it's growing. I, just, uh, I have just acquired uh, a life-size T-Rex skull, and I mean, now it's a reproduction, of course, but... They're not going to let me handle the holy relics, I can tell you that. So, but now we've got lots of things. Anyway, put that in the back of your, your, your mind here. And if you're thinking of mission trips, well, <laughs> a geology mission trip to help Nuri move his rocks. Yeah, okay. Sounds fun, doesn't it? <laughs> so anyway, um, <clears throat> when you look at the fathers in Israel, and you, you think about what their job was, the first job, well, the fathers in Israel were to lead Israel. They didn't rely on, on just a few professionals. The priest had specific duties, but it was the fathers, the fathers, the fathers. Those were the ones who led Israel and imparted the ways and made sure their children understood what was going on in Passover. It was the fathers three times a year who were to go to Jerusalem and celebrate three feasts. The fathers. Now, a lot of their families went with them, of course, but it was the fathers. The fathers led Israel. Number two, the fathers were to keep Israel on track. And again, I think sometimes we leave that up to professionals. After all, they're trained, degreed, whatever it is. But it's the fathers that have to keep Israel on track. That's part of our job as dads. We've got to keep them on track. That is so hard. There are times, and listen, I'm kind of a wimp when it comes to pain and, and being uncomfortable and I hate confrontation and yada, 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 I hate it. You know, but it, it, there were times, some of the toughest times of my life when I just had to get in my kid's face and say, look, no, this is the way it is. There is a God and you're not him. <laughs> you, you, there's, you know, there, there, there's this, we've got to keep our kids on track. Number three, the fathers in Israel were to teach and impart the ways of God to their families. Uh, sometimes I wonder if we've left too much of that responsibility on the moms. And uh, the moms do a lot of work. But dads, you know, and I'm going to give you a, a, a few particulars here, dads, you can take away with you. But dads have this awesome responsibility. This is what God has spoken. Thus saith the Lord. And this is this is the way uh, this is the way God is. The fathers were actually the patriarchs of the family i mean their their legacies. 
How many of you have done work on your genealogies back in your family and your, your, your fathers and things like this? How many of you have done that? A few of you have. Some of us I know have some very tough, tough paths where maybe it's just very painful to think about our dads. You know, but I think about my my dad's family. There were 13 kids in that family. He was a, an Iowa dairy farmer. Any Iowans in here? You know, the, you know, the big dairy farms. And World War II came along and, and all of them wanted to have nine boys. They all wanted to go off to war. And the government said, no, 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 you can keep four at home. We'll take six. So six of the boys went into the war, and they were all in, of course, they, by then the Sullivans, they'd learned the lesson from the Sullivan brothers who had gone down together on a ship, and they decided then they were going to separate families. But my dad was a pilot in World War II, and uh, my uncles were, one of them was a merchant marineman, you know, so he carried all those supplies back and forth facing all the German submarines going across the Atlantic and so on. And I think about this and what a big part it plays in my own upbringing. I I don't think they were believers. I I really don't know whether my dad was a, a, a believer as a Christian. I don't know whether my mom was either, but they were good parents. They made a lot of mistakes uh, I can tell you, I wish I, have, I could have made half the mistakes, you know, that all the mistakes that I have made, I've, had, I've started at them. I'm one of those introspective people. I go, oh, man, I've really passed my parents. You know, we used to say, you know, our parents, they don't know a whole lot. But I'll tell you, they, they were good parents, and they're part of our legacy. What did they pass on? They passed on some very, very, very good things. So working that into your heritage, um, you know, genealogy is very, very critical. You see that in the Old Testament. A lot of people, they don't, they think about these genealogies in Genesis and they go, yeah, they're gaps and they can't pronounce half the names and, you know, they're boring and all of this stuff. Genealogies are so critical. Why? Because Jesus is the son of who? David. If Jesus can't show that he's related to David, you don't have a Messiah. Jesus is the son of Abraham. If he can't show his lineage to Abraham, you don't have a Messiah. If Jesus is the son of man, he's got to show his lineage back to Adam. And if you can't do that, you don't have a Messiah. That's just the long and the short of it. And so genealogy is very critical. Now, when I think of mine, I I am related to William the Conqueror. Now, some of you are thinking, ooh, But you see, if I can't show you the genealogy, what value is it? So we do. We have this genealogy worked all the way back. A few people we'd like to forget. But for the most part, you know, it's a, it's, a good, it's a good heritage. But the fathers, you're setting up a legacy for your kids. And you're involving some of your past. You're involving some of your present. You're involving the future. Where do we go as a future? And your kids play a vital part of it. And it's, uh, let me tell you, it's just, it's going to be tough. But, uh, but all you guys are, I think that's why God has made dads tough, I think. There are times when we're kind of wimps, but I think for the most part we're tough. I, I do think, Greg, you need a bigger baptismal here. Uh, guys like Zach, you know, there's a group of Mennonites in Kansas that are called the Dunkard Brethren. 
And they, they baptize you three times in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think they did it because their baptismals were too small. It's to make sure you see your baptism, you have to go all the way under the water. So you baptize the head, and then you baptize the knees, and then you get the rest of the body. So I, you really either need to broaden your doctrine or you get another <laughs> baptism. Because poor Zach, you know, he's not going to make it. <laughs> So, fathers are the patriarchs of the family, and you're building a legacy. Now, Genesis is the most maligned, the most misunderstood, and the most hated book in the Bible in American culture, bar none. This is, you're going to see this time and time again. Creationists, when given just one proof of evolution, see no evidence, hear no evidence, and spout Bible verses till the proof goes away. That's what they think. That's what the secularists think about you and me. And I, frankly, I'm quite offended by that. Because, I, I, first of all, I have more fossils than, than every park ranger in the whole system. I have more rocks. I have more minerals. I've seen the proof. But you want to be able to say that. And when we go out here to Morrison Ridge, you're going to see some proof. You want to be able to say, well, no, that's not true. That's not true at all. But this is what they think of us. And this is kind of, a, this is kind of your legacy. And as your kids grow up, you know, Dad, do I, do, I really, do I want to really believe in that stuff? I mean, everybody thinks I'm a fool, whether it's at school or wherever it is, you know. And no, you want to say, well, let's go out and let's look. Let's go out and let's look. Here's what God says and here's the way it looks. Now, if I were to ask you all, how many of you can recite John 3.16? I, I'm, I'm serious now. How many of you could recite John 3.16? Look, look at the hands go up. I mean, you all know John 3.16. How many of you can recite Genesis 7.11? Nobody? It's perhaps the most critical verse in the scriptures concerning earth history. With the exception of the creation. 600th year of Noah's life. Fountains of the great deep burst open. That will tell you just about everything you need to know about geology. But we don't. We don't pay attention to it. It's, it's, it's a myth. My job as a kid, you know, we had, we, we had such a big family when I grew up. We took baths, you know, every Saturday night. And when it was my turn, we'd fill up the bathtub. And I had this little Noah's plastic you know, toy, every kid has one. My job was to fill that bathtub up and capsize that sucker. You know, that, that's what I wanted to do. See what it would take to capsize Noah and his animals. And, you know, it was just a story. And the truth of it really wasn't, didn't connect. Well, let me tell you, as we look at the scripture, God has been gracious to reveal the history and the end of mankind. You realize that? Between the two covers of that book, this is not, it's not just a collection of interesting stories written by backward, primitive people. That's what we're taught. God has been gracious to tell us the beginning, what happened in the middle, and what's going to happen in the end. And it's right there between two covers. Sometimes I've wondered, how come the Bible isn't thicker? You know, we don't, I've already read it a few times. How come we don't have more to read? I want more Bible. I want a bigger Bible. God has revealed, though, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And he's been gracious to do that for us. And what do we do as human beings? We just, eh, some of this is not important. They're not important. 
uh, you know, it, it, whether it's your spiritual gift or whatever it is you're, you're seeking, it, it, the rest of it, just you can kind of take it or leave it. And it's just, it's not, it's not good. There are several parts here to this whole story, and I want to just touch briefly on them. First is creation. This is not a story, folks. <laughs> this is not just a kind of a neat piece of poetry in the book of Genesis. Most of Genesis is not poetry. It's history. It's a history. And it tells us where we came from and who we are. You lose that. We have lost the whole reason for marriage. We've lost the whole reason for the right kinds of relationships. I really believe the whole reason we are struggling with the... um, Now, I hope I'm... Am I being recorded here? Is it going out live? Okay, good, good, okay. Yeah, Yeah, caveat here. I think the whole reason we are struggling in our culture with the whole gay agenda, and, and it, this, this, I'm not trying to pick a fight here. What I'm trying to do is to say that it's rooted in something. It's because we've lost our way. We don't know who we are, and we don't know where we came from. Creation tells us. That gives us the picture, a right view of ourselves. Then there's, of course, corruption. Why is the world in such a mess today? We are in a mess. Why is it? Just because of politics? No, it's because we've lost our way. We've lost the meaning behind what happened in the garden. There's catastrophe. You know, the flood is the only thing that I know of in the whole scripture. It's the only global event that tells all of mankind that you are accountable to God. Sodom and Gomorrah was a big event, wasn't it? And there were other events like it. But the global flood, that is the only one I know of that's global, that has one message to mankind. You are accountable to your maker. And I think that's the message of the Genesis flood. You are accountable. We are accountable. And of course, then there's the crucifixion, isn't it? Now, crucifixion tells us the way out. You see how kind God is in this whole thing? This is our, this is our story. This is part of our legacy. God is so kind to reveal this. This is the way out. And then, of course, there's the culmination, isn't it? The way things will be in the future. And this is our story. But let me tell you, it's a whole story. It's a whole story. If we tell bits and pieces of it, you might as well leave the whole thing out. You know, any of you, how many of you like the story, um, A Christmas Carol you, you like this story? Any of you have ever read it? You know, the, well, we watch the movie all the time, of course. But you know, what are the lines, the opening lines of it? The, the opening lines go something like this. I'm not going to get it perfect here. But it's, it says, uh, you know, that, um, uh, the, the gist of it is you, you must grab onto these things that I'm going to relate to you. Or nothing that I relate to you is going to make sense. And the whole story rests on that. Now, you take the first 10 pages out of Christmas Carol, you don't have a story. You really don't have a story. You've got to have the whole story there. Nothing will make sense unless you understand what I'm about to tell you really happened. And, of course, then it opens up. Marley was as good as dead. He was dead as a doornail. And that's, the, of course, the gist of the story. But for us, it's a whole story. And for us as dads, we've got to keep the whole story intact and alive. It does matter 
how old the earth is. It does matter whether there was a global flood. It does matter whether there was a fall. It does matter whether Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. All of this is part of the story that God's trying to communicate to us. I don't know if any of you have ever seen this. If you take this timeline, God has given a genealogy. And I talked talk to you a little bit before about the importance of genealogies. Well, here we go. Here's, there, there it is. All the way, unbroken, from Adam all the way through to Abraham. Now Jesus can authentically be called the Son of Man. Because other parts... He showed his relationship to Abraham and so on. And people a lot of times will criticize these genealogies. Well, it's full of gaps. It's full of missing years and so on. Well, the Bible just doesn't, just doesn't allow for it. I'm not sure I've been able to squeeze in a half a million years in any one of these spots. You just can't do it. They're there. So-and-so lived so many years and had a son. And then when he lived so many years, he had a son. When he lived so many years, he had a son. It's designed to set up something. The truth of what God has just communicated. That's the importance of it. And we should be proud. This is part of our genealogy. This is part of where we came from. This is our heritage. And dads as patriarchs, it's part of your job to know this and to impart it. And I'm told in the early days... Uh, that fathers would sit down with their kids and grandfathers would do this. And it's kind of like around the campfire and they would recite this. And kids knew this. And um, they they knew it very, very well. There you have Adam. And uh, there you have Enoch. Now, very interesting, the first seven generations in the book of Jude, Jude tells us that Enoch was the seventh from Adam. Okay, now, now we can't squeeze a half a million, two million, five million, ten million, fifty million years in there, can we? Not, not unless these guys lived incredibly long ages. They lived long ages, but not, not fifty million years. Adam wasn't fifty million years when he died. So, but you see this unbroken line, this unbroken chain. And then you see, whoa, just a few generations later, and we come up with Noah. And uh, then Noah... Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and then we come up with Terah, and uh, this, of course, here is uh, Peleg, the, uh, when, right around the time of the Tower of Babel, and spreading out of the nations, God's even gracious enough to tell us how all these civilizations started coming about. Very great. He didn't leave these things just to us to dream about and imagine. He's got them written down, and he's got the important parts written down for us to pass on to our kids. And it's done in such a way, dads, that you could handle this. You can do this. You can impart this to your kids. And then, of course, we're at Abraham. Now, some things have really happened along the way. Here's a group of guys. I'm sure you all recognize them by their class pictures. There's Isaac Newton and uh, Kepler and Galileo, all famous, famous scientists. We all agree to that. Uh, Today, secularists uh, call Isaac Newton the greatest scientist who ever lived. Uh, Did you know when he lived, did you know he wasn't known for being a scientist? He was known for being a theologian. He had the largest theological library in Europe. And he wrote a history of the world. I have that history. And it is, uh, it gives me goosebumps reading it. I mean, he had access to sources that we no longer have today. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. But the poor guy was also a wacko. 
he, uh, he, he believed and taught that the earth was about 6,000 years old and there had been a catastrophic flood. Uh, one of the first persons I learned about in secular geology was this geologist who believed in all of this stuff. They didn't, of course, they never told me about that, but he set the first few principles in geology. One of them was called the law of superposition. It really, it really makes a lot of sense. It's a, it's a kind of a neat law. But listen to this law. That in, any, in any unbroken layer of strata, so strata are all these things you're going to see at Morrison, these lines of sediments. In any unbroken layers of stratas, the one on the bottom were laid down first. Isn't that profound? That's one of the first laws of geology I learned. I thought, oh, yeah, it makes sense. So, you know, that you've got a history here. It doesn't tell you anything about time. It just tells you, look, there's an order to the, to the strata. There's an event here. And uh, when you think about it, of course, we try to get all, we try to get very, very intellectual about it. One's on the bottom, laid down first. One's on the top, laid down last. <laughs> it, it describes order. If you look at it from a flood perspective, well, there's an order to these, these rocks here. And it really doesn't have anything to do with time. Now, here's a, here's a chart. I don't know if any of you recognize this chart. Uh, some of you might think it's from Bishop Usher. It isn't. By the way, he too is a brilliant historian. And probably the most criticized man today. Uh, but a brilliant historian. And a, and a devout man. I don't know whether he was a believer. But he feared God. I can tell you that. And uh, anyway, here's a chart. You see this, they, they call it, in, it, they call these the great, these are the remarkable eras and events of earth history. And, they, and I didn't leave any of them out. These are the first five they list here. What, well, what's the first one, folks? It's the creation. When, do, when was it? Zero, year zero. And uh, before Christ, oh, roughly 4,000 years before Christ. And then they, the deluge is a fancy word for the flood. Uh, okay, then it tells you that. And then it tells you when the, the great civilization started and so on. Do you have any idea where this came from? Encyclopedia Britannica. 1771. Any of you have this sitting on your shelf? Do any of you have the Encyclopedia Britannica sitting on your shelf, the hard copies? I know some of us oldies. I still like the books. Yeah, there's an old guy back there. Still, still likes the books. I, I just, I, I tell you, I am a lost generation. I'm one of the 99, or the 99 sheep that, you know, gone astray here in the midst of all the technological revolution. hours and hours, hundreds of hours, making sure I can get this thing right so that when my days are over, and, and I don't know how long I'm going to live, but my family history has been fairly short. <laughs> my dad died at 56. My mom at 65. I had a brother die at 64. I'm 64. And so I'm looking, boy, how much time do I have left? And so I'm just trying to work as furiously as I can, because when I depart this sphere, I want to make sure that guys like you can say, I know where to go, I know what to do, and I'm going to carry this ball. Now, seven big contradictions you need to know between Genesis and modern science. Number one, Big Bang. 
the problem is Big Bang assumes that something was already there. Now that's a problem because Genesis says what? In the beginning, God created the space and the earth. And the word create is a word means from nothing. So already, we're in, we could start off on the wrong foot. If you embrace the Big Bang, you have started off on the wrong foot. Nothing was there except God and all his glory and his infiniteness. And then he created out of nothing, brought into existence the space and the earth. Second big contradiction. The stars and galaxies, according to modern science, and the sun came before the earth. What? You mean they didn't? No. In the beginning, God created space and the earth. When were the stars, the sun, and the moon created? Fourth day. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Now, no, day, I mean, it can mean a whole bunch of different things. You know, If we start down that road, you're, Christ rose three days later from the dead. What does that mean? Three, three millennia? Three million years? What? No, 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 no. We're going to interpret that a little differently. Look, the Hebrews had the same problem we did. Most of our words have to be defined in the context in which we use them. Husbands and wives, you, this is one of your major learning things, isn't it, in your relationship? Learning the context of everything that's spoken. Isn't that right? <laughs> well, you said this. Well, yeah, but it's not what I meant. Well, <laughs> you see, we have to define the context. And that's what God does for us, evening and morning. Another great big contradiction. It's modern science teaches the earth was originally a molten ball of lava. Did you know that? A molten ball of lava. That's the only way to explain all of these lava formations. In Washington, we have lava flows, 60,000 square miles of lava flows, some of which are two miles thick. My word, if you can't come up with some kind of a Genesis explanation, the only explanation you are is that, hey, the earth began in a molten ball of lava, and it didn't. Peter tells us in Second Peter, the earth was created out of water and by water. Didn't begin in a molten ball of lava. It was, it was, a, it was a sphere of water, probably with the foundation rocks within the water. Here's another big one. Water in the atmosphere came from volcanic eruptions. This is what they teach. This is what you will learn. I have 50 books on my shelf on volcanoes. I love volcanoes. I live 90 minutes from the most dangerous volcano in the continental United States. And of course I know being in Seattle, if it erupts, everything is going to plaster Portland all over the map and Yakima and all these other towns. Mount, when Mount St. Helens erupted, Seattle was in the clear because of the wind direction. And even when Mount Baker, another big volcano north of Seattle, when it erupts, the Canadians are cursing us up there because they know when it erupts, and it's in the process, there's some carbon dioxide and stuff going on, but if it erupts, they're going to get all the ash. So Seattle's sitting out there just smiling, drinking their coffee. (laughs) So, yeah, they teach water in the atmosphere came from volcanic eruptions. Well, no, the Bible teaches the atmosphere was created when God parted the waters didn't he? Waters from the waters created space in between. Another huge contribution or contradiction, sea life came before plant and animal life. You know, you look at the geologic timetable and you see down there way, 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 way down there in the bottom has all this varied sea life. And of course, evolution teaches that's where it all began. No surrey bub. 
What was the first kind of life to be created, according to Genesis? Plants. And that came before the sun. So it's very, very critical. We see, hey, there's a lot of contradictions here. Uh, and of course, that modern science teaches that birds came after land animals. This is one of the funniest parts of paleontologists I can possibly imagine. I'm having so much fun with this area of paleontology. Did you know that chickens today are the, the last surviving remnants of the dinosaurs? How many of you knew that? Any of you knew that? Some of you probably did. Yeah, I, that turkey you ate for, for Thanksgiving was a dinosaur. Now, paleontologists in getting from here to there, it is a funny story. And if you don't know it, I don't think you can appreciate it. Some of you are looking at me like, this is just boring. But if you understand the story, it shows you how far off the charts that we've gotten. And, of course, the big one here, man is just higher order of animal. You know, man is never called an animal in the scriptures. Do you know that? No, made in the image of God and we've lost that and that's part of the legacy of the enlightenment it's left us without an identity we are no better than the trees around us living in Seattle I have to be very 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 careful of what I say because I mean I could go to jail for harming the feelings of that tree over there it is I mean it is it's, it's getting ridiculous, and it's because we've lost this. Okay, real quickly here, I'm going to tie things up. I'm going to give you four steps, fathers, that you can take. Uh, first of all, you've got to learn and be confident in the Genesis genealogies and history. I just gave them to you. You can take these there. And those of you who, uh, who, have, who read the authorized version of the Bible, which is the New American Standard Bible. You still read the New American Standard? Okay, a few of you do. Yeah, that's the one from God. All the rest of them were. Yeah. In some of the New American Standard Bibles, they actually publish the, the, the genealogy right there. But you can go through and construct your own. Study them and pass them on to your kids. And you, you communicate it with confidence. These are real. This is history. We're not looking at myth. And, and you don't take this or leave it. This is what God has communicated. Second thing you can do is you can learn and know the catechism of creation. Start with a list of passages, I would say. We started with Genesis 7-11. That could be one. Know some of these. You know about a half a dozen to ten passages that communicate something of our earth history. You're going to be developing a different world view of, of earth. And you won't fit in. Of course, that's one of the risks, isn't it? You won't fit in. You're not going to fit in. As a young earth global flood geologist, um, I run into all sorts of people. And um, I tell you, there's one, con- there's one seminar I gave on Yellowstone up in Minnesota here several weeks ago. I had a park, retired park ranger from Yellowstone in there. Now, Yellowstone is the creme de la creme of national parks. And if you get a job there, I mean, you're on Queen Elizabeth's throne. I, that's, that is the job to have. But so he Googled my name and he came just to pick me apart. And we had some very good discussion. I, I was really, I, I really had a, I, I think there was a, a real love in my heart for the guy. Because we, we parted on very friendly terms. He said, well, first of all, you've offended every single geologist out there. And I said, yeah, I'm, I know that I'm aware of that. 
Every singular secular geologist has been offended by what I just said. Only took one hour to do it. <laughs> and, then, and then he said, but I'll tell you this. You and I share a love of Yellowstone. And with that, I'm going to shake your hand. And we did. We left in fellowship. We loved Yellowstone together. But anyway, you, you've got to learn the catechism of creation, which is the Bible. Learn it. Uh, and then the second part of it, you've got to become an interpreter of the landscape. You can do this. You don't need a college degree in geology to do this. It's probably better you didn't. I know of a lot of students coming out of college with a degree in geology. They don't know their rocks and their minerals. They don't know these. They know how to find oil. They know how to make a living. You know, when I was in geology, oil was on its way out. So I mean, I was looking at it, going, "Well, what am I going to do for a living?" There was nothing to do in geology. You could go on and spend another thirty, forty thousand dollars and get a degree in well, volcanology wasn't even big then. Neither was environmental geology. So you don't you don't need this. You're not gonna learn what you need to do. Learn the catechism of creation and then just take lots and lots of field trips with your kids. We call them vacations. Our kids knew them as vacations, but we, we, we viewed them as field trips. And we'd go out to this place and this place. But adding them all together, I'm confident that we left the worldview with them. And so if something happens to me, I can leave the sphere with a good conscience that I have imparted the things that are most important to my kids. And that's, that's part of the legacy that you dads have. Impart these legacies to your kids be the patriarch of the family. That's who you are. That's what you are. That's a high position and a high calling. Be the patriarch of the family. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. Listen, let me tell you, I have made a ton of mistakes. Some of them I just, I look back and I say, man, I wish I would have known that. Or I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I... All of us are going to have those. That's just part of our life story. We're sinners. We've, we're in a fallen world. We're going to make a lot of mistakes. And, uh, but you are the patriarch of the family. And no matter what's gone on in your life, where your life is at now, dads, start now and you can be strong disciplers. And by the time your kids leave home, you want them to be able to defend their own conscience over the scripture. And you want them to have, be able to stand up. I was really impressed with Zach. Zach, where are you? Yeah, okay, there you are. Zach and I met just a few years ago, but he's not afraid to challenge some of these guys and and ask questions. I've heard a few stories about what you've done. And I thought, boy, now that's what we need. We need people who are not afraid to ask some of those tough questions. And uh, I can go over that too when we talk about Morrison. But that's what I want to leave you with today. Just for dads in Genesis, be the patriarch of the family. Do not leave Genesis out of the picture. It is vital to having your kids grow up with a, a, a right view of earth, of God, of family, of marriage, of things like that. Very, very critical. So I'll leave you with that. And thank you so much for letting me speak to you. All right, I'll pray to close us off here. Yeah, thank you, Jesus, that we could, we could hear from your word. Lord, we know that your Bible, the word that you've given us, is true from cover to cover. And we want to walk in that, walk that out, and find out what that means. Lord, thank you for the message you provided us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.